Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were addressing a question from a listener asking about a new History Channel program regarding UFOs. Mm. So you decided to interview your son, Lieutenant Benjamin Luke Scripture, a Navy helicopter pilot, about the phenomena of UFOs reported by many Navy pilots on that show. But we didn't have time to air the whole interview. That's right, Scott. And what we were discussing when we had to stop last time was how the brain processes information when it has no reference points to make sense of what it's trying to process. Mm. So we'll pick up at that point in the interview. Tell us more about what your brain does when it doesn't have any reference points. So your brain is trying to maintain orientation and it's going to use whatever information it can get hold of and try to make something out of that. If you cannot see anything, you, you know it, and so you, you're going to have to focus on something else. And so in that situation where there really is just nothing to see, it's very obvious for the pilot that they need to look inside and just, just focus and fly on their instruments, which we train to do regularly. But if there is just a little bit out there to look at, our brains really want to see what's going on. It's estimated about 80% of the orientation information that our brain uses comes through our eyes. Hmm. It's a huge bandwidth compared to, say, your sense of touch or hearing. So your brain is really putting a lot of stock in what it sees. And so when it sees one little point of light or one small object, it's trying to make sense of what it's seeing. The problem is when there's nothing else to corroborate or back that up, our brain can go down a wrong path. And since there's nothing else to see to tell it that it's wrong, we buy off on that. And so there are different visual illusions that can occur in a visually degraded environment. But hmm. one of them, specifically relating to this potential explanation for motion of these lights, is something called the autokinetic effect or autokinesis. Hmm. And uh, just from the term, you can maybe figure out what that means. And it's you see this point and it looks like it is moving, even though it's not. And this wow. is something that's been known about and written about since the late 1700s and early 1800s that this was observed. But it was really wasn't until this early to middle part of the last century where a lot of research and work was really being put into it, specifically with an aviation application because of the advent of widespread military aviation. You know, World War II, we had a lot more pilots flying, and so pilots were seeing things that looked like it was moving. Is that a target? Is that a ship? Is that another aircraft? Huh. And it was just a star. Wow. But it really looked like it was moving. And when there's nothing else on the horizon or in, in the vicinity of that light, it can be a very powerful illusion that really looks like that light is moving. And so aircraft have flown off well off course or out to sea thinking that they were following their lead aircraft or their tanker, and they're just flying off into nowhere because that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a star. Well, um, and depending um, on the what the object is, the fact that you're in a fast-moving aircraft kind of complicates that even more. Absolutely. When I can see the horizon and other things around me, my brain will automatically process a change in that image as I am what's moving. I know the world is stable. Yeah. I must be moving. Huh. When that point of light, which is really the only part of the Earth's surface that I can see, but it's just that one point of light, when that moves, my brain would much rather think that I am stable. That object must be moving. Wow, and so you can get pretty disoriented, uh, and it can look really strange. And this isn't just a ship. There are plenty of reports of this with pilots with a runway, something that couldn't possibly be moving. Huh. And they'll report after the fact, it looked like the runway was moving away from me. So to gear this back to uh, the whole issue of UFOs then, you know, a lot of times then when a person is saying that they think it was a UFO, it's not that they're lying or making anything up. I mean, they truly believe 
that what they saw was unusual, that didn't make any sense. And so they would claim it to be an unidentified, and of course it is unidentified, but some unidentified flying object when it might not even have been flying. So a lot of that kind of confusion gets reported and it's just because of mistaken identity almost, we might say. Yes, I would say most many certainly of those reports could be confidently chalked up to that, whether it was autokinesis or it was just a, an airplane that they're not used to seeing in that location of the sky or the conditions were just right. I would never say that these people are making it up. Um, yeah, and right. that's one of the pushes with these reports and the emphasis that these are Navy pilots. You know, These are trustworthy people that millions of dollars have been spent to train them. They have security clearances. They're responsible. They're incredibly intelligent people. And also, they have something to lose by making this noise about, hey, I saw something I can't explain. Right. You know, they have a reputation. They have a career. And so that's I'm not surprised at all that they talk about the stigma or people being worried about talking about these things because of the scrutiny that that would bring. But no, I don't think that they're making it up. But that okay. doesn't mean that it was little green men. Right. So, Luke, we've mentioned UFOs several times. What exactly is a UFO? What the term says it's its own definition, is an unidentified flying object, which means there's something there, it's flying, and I don't know what it is. Anything in the sky that you can see is flying, but you don't know what it is, is at least to you an unidentified flying object. Okay, so now, Luke, let me ask you, have you ever seen a UFO? I have. I have seen something (laughs) flying that I didn't know what it was. Uh, (laughs) Okay, but you've never seen anything that appeared to be like a spaceship. I've certainly never seen anything that was definitively extraterrestrial, no. And the thing is, this program on the History Channel showed infrared images of UFOs. So I'm curious, Luke, what can infrared actually detect and what kind of limitations does it have? So an infrared system like they're using is really a camera. It's similar to a video camera, although it looks at a slightly different spectrum of of radiation. So it's looking at an infrared band and it's good for... Nighttime, it's good for seeing heat sources. So even if you're in a dark or visually degraded environment, you can still see because that different wavelength works a little different. So it's very similar to a camera. The images they had on that program were pretty interesting to see. There's something there putting out something as far as infrared goes. So that's what they were looking at there. What are its limitations? How defined can the image be when it's just, if I understand this correctly, seeing heat? In certain cases, it can be pretty fine. It is usually nowhere near the resolution that you would see on TV. And Mm -hmm. you can see in those images, it's sort of grainy looking. Uh, That's pretty typical because unlike visible light, which can punch pretty much straight through the air, infrared can be affected by atmosphere. It can be affected by humidity. Hmm. It can be affected by other atmospheric conditions that just cause those signatures to dissipate a little faster. So you're not going to get really, really high resolution a lot of the time. One of the claims that they made then was there was no heat signature like from an engine. It was just the object apparently was warmer than its surroundings, but they were questioning how in the world did this thing move without any kind of an engine producing heat, you know, a plume, and how did it move around? They've suggested that maybe these things ran by gravity, ran on some kind of a propulsion against gravity. We don't have anything like that ever developed yet, right? None that I know of. But could there be some experimental devices that are actually starting to use the gravity propulsion? If there is, it's very secret, obviously. (laughs) But 
to move an object, all you need is a force. And there are mo- many different types of force out there. You know, a, a jet generates that force by combusting jet fuel and shooting it out the back of a funnel, and that projects the jet in the opposite direction. And so that's how we propel a lot of our yeah, but aircraft that's hot. And machines. But that's just one way to do it. That method is hot, but it certainly is possible to move an object without that. I mean, you think about your car. Yes, you have exhaust coming out of the tailpipe, but what moves your vehicle is the friction between your tires and the road. That's where the force is. Well, that doesn't show up as a plume. It's a different type of force. Well, another claim that they made was that the speeds of these things were phenomenal. One of the pilots said that they estimated the object went 3,700 miles per hour as it was sort of hovering and then almost instantaneously shot off in another direction. 3,700 miles per hour is faster than the speed of sound, right? By several times over. (laughs) Okay. The thing that I wondered then was if this thing was actually a physical object and suddenly it goes that fast, why wouldn't there be a sonic boom? Because I don't think they said there were any sonic booms. You mentioned something about this, and so I did some digging on sonic booms because I wasn't certain if something's moving that fast, does it make a sonic boom? And the research that I could find suggests that, yes, an aircraft or an object moving that fast will still make a sonic boom. At that point, you are actually nearing what's agreed upon as a threshold for hypersonic. You've almost gone beyond supersonic to hypersonic, Hmm. but there is still a sonic boom in cases like that. Now, why there wasn't one observed? Sonic booms can be observed by onlookers on the ground and other places. It may not be something you would really notice in an aircraft. A jet is, if nothing else, very, very loud. So a sonic boom going by, they may not have noticed, may have been muffled. So it's possible that they just didn't notice it. All right. Well, Luke, the idea of UFOs being objects that are piloted by aliens, what is your opinion about that? Do you think that that's a possibility or do you think the more likely explanation is something else? I think it's more likely that it would be something else. If it turned out that it was something from another place, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to learn about what that is. But I tend to think that that's unlikely. I think the explanation is probably more ground-based. Yeah, either they're just not interpreting what they're seeing correctly, or maybe it is some new secret thing that they're really, really making sure nobody knows about at this point, whether it's us or some other country. The thing is, part of the History Channel's program was really presenting this as this is a some kind of a national security risk and the government needs to be doing something about it. That was really the take that Christopher Mellon was presenting, that we need to not keep this secret, but we need to do something about this. Well, whether our government can do anything about these things or not, who knows? But Luke, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing a lot of your experiences and your expertise with us. And keep safe, son. Thanks, Dad. Well, Dr. Scripture, that was fascinating. Mm. I'd love to hear more about what Luke could tell us about the human brain, but what he said about the complexity and variables involved in how we interpret what we see when we don't have any normal points of reference, that has given me a better idea of how to evaluate the reports we tend to hear about UFOs. Oh, yeah, Scott. I think by far they can generally be understood to be nothing more than an object that, due to the mental context of the observer, was indeed unidentifiable to that person. But with more information, its identity would be clear. However, some of what is being observed does seem very extraordinary. 
Are these phenomena extraterrestrial in nature? I think we should be very careful to not jump to the conclusion that when something is unidentifiable, it must be alien. Hmm. It's possible that the source of some of this activity is angelic. We know very little about how angelic activity, whether holy or demonic, might be perceived by humans on earth. But we do know one of the goals of Satan is to deceive us. Could the source of some of this phenomena be the God, little g, of this world's attempt to confuse and deceive those who don't know the true God, even to the extent that those who know the Lord are distracted and deceived by strange happenings, whether real or imagined? It seems that in the end times, the Lord is going to give Satan and his followers rather wide leeway in what they can do on the earth. Listen to this description of something or someone called another beast and what it was able to do during the Great Tribulation recorded in Revelation 13, 13. Could some deceptive signs be taking place even leading up to the Great Tribulation being described here? Here's what is written, quote, And he performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.